Welcome to the Metabolic MD. Health means everything. We all seek optimal health, but most of us do not know how to achieve it. Dr. Paul Kaladze has spent a career in the emergency department. Now, he helps his patients avoid ever ending up there. During these podcasts, you'll learn how you can lose weight and prevent and reverse disease through new technology, a modified diet, and the use of some new recently approved FDA medications. This information is not meant to be medical advice. Please seek consultation from your own medical provider. Let's listen in. Guess what? We're back. It's another episode of the Metabolic MD with Dr. Paul Kalazic. And do we have a special guest today? We do. We have Dr. John Erst, Harvard-trained orthopedic surgeon from Dayton, Ohio. And why do we have a metabolic doctor and a sur- orthopedic surgeon talking today? Because there's a great connection between being overweight, being obese, and the stress it puts on your joints. Correct, guys? Absolutely. I'll say partially correct, because the other connection is we were on the same wrestling team in high school. Oh, yeah. Let's talk briefly about that. You guys have not really met in person since you went to to prom with each other. Is that correct? That's not true. (laughs) So, But you haven't seen each other since high school? That's right. So last time would have been probably 74-ish or something like that. Yeah, 72, probably. And how how well did he age? Just real quick. uh, Uh, Probably, uh, (laughs) well, he was a a lower wrestling class weight than I was, so... I'd have to say he probably aged pretty well. Okay. <laughs> We're both like fine wine. Oh, you're, you, you get better with age? Low-carb wine. Low-carb low wine. <laughs> so can we get into this topic? Because I, we did a podcast with Dr. Erse last week where we talked about the role of being overweight and stress on the joints and things like that. Uh, but this week we're doing a podcast for you. And we're going to be focusing on kind of the other side of the things about what people can do to reduce the stress on joints by losing weight. And we're going to be talking about uh, those kind of topics. Do you have anything you kind of want to lead us with? No, other than there's a commonality here that, you know, increased weight puts increased pressure on the knees. Uh, I'm a big believer that increased glucose, which is often the cause for increased weight, also causes knee inflammation. So I think we're here to explore um, what's going on in the orthopedic world related to being able to fix those problems. All right, Dr. John, I asked you this question on your podcast, but this is a different listening base here. So out of all the people who come to see you on a regular basis, how many are maybe overweight? And that being overweight is putting the stress on the joints and that's causing the problem that they're seeing you about. Well, the answer is going to be a majority, Terry. Um, The average American, probably 70% of Americans are overweight. And based on what you consider your definition of obese, there would probably be a lot of people that would benefit by reducing some weight on their hips and knees. We get about a, based on what study you read, probably a four to six times benefit for every pound you lose, that's four to six times less force across your hip or knee. So there are tremendous um, benefits to reducing your weight and load to the cartilage. And, and Paul's going to talk a little bit about the cartilage and why that's such an important cushion at the end of our bones. But when it breaks down, you lose that cushioning effect, which then the bones rub on bone. You've heard that before. Yeah. And then bones have nerve endings, so then it hurts because it then causes swelling and inflammation. So in, what's the, what's the most common part. issue you see on a regular basis with, with overweight people coming, complaining about knees, joints, hips, ankles? Well, knees are probably the most common by far. And I think we, if, if you know, the Committee on Design really knew what we put knees through, they probably <laughs> did a pretty good job with them, but they didn't anticipate pickleball, football, and all the other activities we put them through. So, you know, injuries certainly contribute to 
a rapid progression of a, a joint problem. You know, you tear a supporting ligament. We've talked about ACL injuries. Right. If you have a fracture or a crack into the joint that offsets the the way the the joints glide smoothly, uh, also would hasten a problem. So I think the knees are the most common. Hips are also pretty commonly. Uh, uh, arthritic and painful too, though, and they can be. And we had a, a podcast about arthritis. It can't, and they don't all come from trauma. There are things like rheumatoid arthritis, um, there's psoriasis, other types of what are called inflammatory arthritis. As you've heard of gout and things where, like battery acid, inflammation type sure. fluids get in the joint, and that's what it seems like to your joints, like. They're inflamed, like something like that. So let's go back to you, Dr. Paul. The reason we're kind of having this conversation is you you kind of feel and you, you truly believe that having high blood sugar is one of the causes of, A, being overweight, but but also could be the cause of some joint pain that people might be experiencing. Yeah, absolutely. So the design committee also didn't anticipate people with 40, 45, 50 BMIs as well. So our joints really, I don't think, were made to, to handle that kind of weight. And just so everybody out there knows, the design committee is who? Well, your maker... You're making the man above. The, the, the man or woman above. <laughs> and, uh, you know, being politically correct, um, there are certainly um, things that nobody anticipates in this world. You know, some are viruses, right? We've had that yep. around the world. Um, certainly weight gain is another. And cultures are different. There are certainly cultural differences between um, clothes sizes. I mean, a medium in Europe may not be a medium in the United States, and that's not a... That's not a compliment to our country. So I think we um, we see variances, but we also see things that are not anticipated, which are uh, body li- body um, lifestyle changes, food ingredient changes, things that make production of food faster and cheaper, but maybe not healthier. And I bet. We're going to hear something about that, too. So we've talked about this, Terry, in the past. I mean, you look at a movie or photographs from the 40s or 50s, you don't see the degree of obesity that we have today. No. And I think John's right. He, he, I think there was an inflection point in the 70s when we decided that we had to avoid fat and we had to stay away from cholesterol, and then we embraced this higher-carb lifestyle. So the food pyramid has led us to increase carb intake and has led to the epidemics of obesity and diabetes that we see today. Which is in it could cause the increase in seeing doctors who are orthopedic surgeons. Would you would you agree that that has a common cause? Yeah, there's no so I think, you know, I, I think there are two causes here that is the increased BMI and the amount of pressure. And John can tell us about the increase in pressure across especially knee joints that occurs as a result of these ab- increased abdominal girths. And then I also very much believe there's a inflammatory process that occurs from, you know, insulin resistance, high blood sugar um, that complements both weight gain and inflammation of those joints. So let's talk about inflammation of joints because I'm curious about this. If my knee hurts, Dr. John, or my elbow hurts or my hands hurt, is that inflammation or is that arthritis or are they the same thing? Well, they're, they're definitely different. Um, there are joints that look arthritic on x-ray that don't hurt. And if the, what are called inflammatory, um, what are called mostly proteins, don't make that joint unhappy, you could have two two knees with x-rays that look the same bone on bone. One has no pain, the other is very painful. What happened? Well, my Great Dane ran into my knee, it knocked me back, it's been swollen and painful. You've now stirred up a unhappy joint that wasn't 
perfect on the x-ray, right? Right. But now it's become inflamed. Inflammation is a process the body uses to um, try to quiet down an area, but it also in a way can be protective if you've hurt your knee when it swells it actually inhibits your thigh muscle so you limp a little maybe you take it easy on that knee indirectly because it's harder to walk on so if you rest it it actually indirectly helps you heal or recover from the injury um, if those inflammatory what are called enzymes or proteins don't quiet down then we look at other options of using uh, things to control that discomfort which would be injections you've heard of cortisone or steroids right. some of the gel or lubricant injections we talked about platelets or prp that have over a thousand what are called anti-inflammatory uh, growth factors and healing factors in them uh, and stronger bone marrow aspirate things um, so anything that turns off those pain generators some are safe alternatives we talked about herbal remedies um, and then certainly conventionally things like anti-inflammatory medicines you've all taken Aleve or Motrin or things like that those have benefits but they have side effects also so we always look at you know our job as healthcare providers is to find what's wrong and then make recommendations to people and give them the choices of what they want to do for it but it's a lot of times a multifactorial problem it's it's their diet choices their activity levels their um, the foods they're eating, so, which but, are, but which so are not always controlled by what they think they're eating. You're getting a lot of labeling now on packaging. And yeah. If you look at it, you know, if it has more than five things, there's probably a lot of things you don't need in there. You know, that banana doesn't have more than about one ingredient in it. So, uh, so make sure I got this right. You're saying high blood sugar causes inflammation in joints. Yes. You're saying high, high blood sugar causes people to come see you about pain. Well, it can. Or I mentioned the, the Great Dane hitting your leg. That's trauma. So, yeah. you know, anything that makes a joint unhappy makes it swell, makes it hurt. So it's just it an additional limit. thing that could be causing the... Right. the and arthritis is yeah. the end stage of cartilage wear. So the, we talked about that cushioning effect of the cartilage. And, and there's varying degrees of it, right? There's mild, moderate, or severe arthritis. And, you know, there are varying degrees of pain at each level. There could just be something mechanically wrong in your knee, like a loose piece of cartilage floating around. They call it a loose body. You've got a piece of gravel in there like a, a rock in your shoe. Well, that's... A mechanical problem. So in that case, sometimes we just look in with a light, do a scope, and right. take it out, and all of a sudden it's like shaking your shoe. So you said last week you're an ER doc, right? You're an ER doc and a right. metabolic specialist, right? Uh, and I asked you the question: How many people come in with orthopedic issues to the ER? And you said the vast majority. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> musculoskeletal disability is the biggest reasons for disability in this country. And so the, the way to attack that, I think, is multifactorial. It's the stuff that John does. He talked about platelet-rich plasma or maybe steroid injections before you're going all the way to a knee replacement. Right. But another way to attack that is to decrease the pressure across the knee with weight loss. And again, I believe bringing down blood sugar will help with that inflammation as well. So there are things you you can do before you get to the point of needing a total joint replacement. But if you do need a total joint replacement, there's also things you can do, I think John can tell us, to make sure that that surgery is successful. All right. So one of the things I was, go go I'm trying to connect the dots here. Uh, you see people in the ER with orthopedic issues. You also help people lose weight. If people lose weight, 
is that possible that the, the, the amount of stress on the joints will help relieve the problem and then they don't need that surgery? Or is, eventually they're going to need it anyway? No, A is true and B is probably not. I mean, you don't need surgery if you don't think you have a disabling condition. I mean, okay. you have just answered the question by saying, I lost some weight, my knees feel better, am I going to need something done? Well, I hope not. I wouldn't. Got it. I mean, you you absolutely can improve your circumstances by controlling your weight, the force across the knee. We also want to add exercise, leg muscle strengthening around the knee. Like if we look at things, um, and when you take a... Um, a look at how medicine analyzes problems. The buzzword now is a phrase called evidence-based medicine. So instead of saying, doctor says this always works, that's conjectural BS. That's like me saying, oh yeah, I do this and it always works. Yeah. Well, evidence-based medicine, Dr. Paul would say, well, is there an article that shows putting that platelet stuff in your knees really helps? So we would take a control and then a uh, we would blind the people who get it. So in other right. words, two people with a problem will get either like a red dye number two in their knee or real platelets from their blood. And then the doctor would know, the pa patient would know, someone like you, a third person would call them later and go, hey, how you feeling? Then they'd say, well, guess what? The people who got the real McCoy, 87% benefit with PRP, a placebo is 7%. That's called a randomized double-blind study. That's good evidence. So evidence-based medicine tells me, hey, I can hang my hat that that should work. Well, when we look at knee problems, one of the strongest levels of evidence helping knee problems is physical therapy. It's simple. You know, when your doctor says go to therapy, you're like, ah, I already do exercise at home. Well, maybe you do and maybe you don't. Maybe you do the right things and maybe you don't. So supervised therapy strengthens the muscles, improves movement and flexibility. The day I do your knee replacement, people are 60% weaker on that thigh muscle than their other leg. So after surgery, not only do I have to bend the knee to get it to move, they have to strengthen it. So you can do a lot of what's called prehab, which is rehab before surgery, by strengthening your muscles, seeing a therapist and saying, hey, I'm gonna get my knee replaced in six weeks. Show me what I should do at home to really recover faster. So again, you're, you're trying to improve your circumstances with weight loss, exercises, you know, diet, blood sugar control. Sure. Like we look at what are called multimodal um, control of problems. And we do it for pain medicines. We give you an inflammation, pain, muscle relaxant. Those are multi-approach attacks to your post-op pain or ankle fracture pain. Um, he may use a multimodal approach to help you with weight loss with you know, exercises, intermittent fasting, things that help with strengthening and muscle tone sure. and uh, certain you know, food limits or guidelines. And that's what we talked about, a coach giving you the guidelines you need, like your therapist gives you the guidelines for your exercises. Your healthcare providers should be doing that. And it, it can be your chiropractor, it can be your family doctor, emergency room doctor, um, orthopedic surgeon, or your endocrinologist who's your diabetic specialist. He wants your A1C level, which is the three-month report card for your blood sugar, to be low and controlled so that a surgery doesn't get an infection, so that a complication of your knee replacement doesn't occur. So, Dr. Paul, you, you see a lot of patients who are trying to lose weight. 
have any of them come to you because they need to lose weight because they're trying to get ready for surgery because a surgeon couldn't operate on them until they lose that weight? Yeah, there are criteria for surgery, which John can speak to. Um, but people need sometimes will not be accepted to, for surgery, for example, if their BMI is above a certain level. So right. I work with patients related to getting to that goal so that they then can have surgery. I will tell you in that process, through just weight loss alone and decreased inflammation by bringing their blood glucose down, um, a lot of knee pain gets better. It doesn't mean that they might not need surgery. They may down the road. But a multimodal approach with some of the things John, John does with PRP or steroid injections or viscous injections of the knee can be very helpful as well. So again, it's a multimodal approach. I do want to come back to something he mentioned about muscle mass. Um, so I'm a big believer in muscle mass, not only because it helps with uh, taking strain off joints, as John mentioned, um, but it decreases insulin resistance as well. Because if you can increase the size of your muscles, the quality of your muscles, then those insulin receptors on your muscles will soak up more insulin and soak up more blood glucose. And lower extremity muscle mass building, I think, is particularly important. We're talking thighs. We're talking... We're, yeah. Um, yeah. It's huge. Because over yeah. the years in the emergency department, I've seen all these patients that end up losing their mobility go into nursing homes, for example, just because they don't have enough muscle mass in their legs. So working on muscle mass in your legs will help decrease your insulin resistance, but it will also help you stay mo mobile for a long period of time, maybe even avoid surgery. You know, one, one podcast we should do, Dr. Earth, would be exercises, the right kind of exercise to do for certain types of joints. Uh, I think people would like to hear that, but that's not why we're here today. Uh, the message is don't skip leg day. Don't skip leg day. <laughs> so how often have you had to turn somebody away because they couldn't be operated on due to weight? Well, uh, it's not as rare as you think. Um, Dr. Paul mentioned um, not being able to have the surgery uh, performed. We talked last week with one of the anesthesia doctors about how hospitals have a limit of what size patient they will even do an elective hip or knee replacement for. So in some of the networks in here in Ohio, it's 45 BMI. And that body mass index, the BMI, is based on your height and weight. You can't really do much about your height. But, but the weight restrictions, and it isn't always... A, a perfect guideline for who will do well or not after surgery, but we have to use some parameters to check blood pressure or, you know, heart condition or weight and body mass. So there may be a surgeon who says, I don't like working on obese patients. There's a higher risk of blood clots or fractures, wound problems. We do a, a we're going to talk someday about different approaches to the hip replacement. Right. And the front approach, which goes between the muscles, um, can be affected by the belly overhang people have. We call that Dunlap's disease because your belly Dunlap's over your waist. <laughs> so if joke. that gets over your wound, you've seen those little fur balls under there that people get under their tummy and that isn't good for a wound. So an infection is a disaster in a total joint setting. So we want to optimize um, you know, places where surgery is going to be. We want to make sure we avoid things. There's an old saying in medicine, may you never know what you prevent. So we want to, you know, clean your skin. We want your blood sugar optimized. We want your body mass index reasonable or 
I I may choose not to do you because I don't want to do a high-risk patient. Maybe you won't stop smoking. Maybe you won't control your diabetes. We also talked about that A1C number. Right. That if it's above seven and a half, complications go way up in in surgical patients. So certain surgeons will have a, a different criteria for a, an A1C they will operate on just like an anesthesia doctor may have a certain BMI or their hospital system may restrict what we can do. So those are those are either when I see them or after I see them and I go to schedule them and and then that, that may be a hang up. The third thing happens with government agencies and insurance companies. Workman's Comp and some of the insurance carriers have people that review your charts and they go, we're not gonna let you do that joint replacement on this person because their BMI is too high and until they have weight loss counseling, um, we talked a little bit about in our other podcast about some of the new um, what are called uh, GLP-1 right. um, drugs that help lower blood sugar. And we can talk, Paul can talk on that. But there are also weight loss surgery things and other measures people use to lose weight to meet criteria for insurances, hospitals, anesthesia, surgeons, whoever's telling them, look, that number's too high. And whether it's the sugar that has to come down or the weight that has to come down to make the smooth sailing go through the surgery, that's what we want to do. Okay. And John, they're technically more difficult. I know you have great expertise, but when you have a big person, isn't the surgery just harder to do? We call them mud wrestling matches. Oh they're, they're definitely yeah. harder. They're harder for everybody. They're harder for the orderly and I to move the patient on and off the table. They're harder for us to, you know, it's deeper in, you're in a deeper hole working on a hip. Yeah. You're on longer instruments, longer retractors. You're exerting more force to get to where you want to go. It's harder for the anesthesia person with the airway. It's harder for the therapist to move them. And it's harder for the patient. It's The patient's got to get up and down steps. they got to get out of a car. They've got to... And my goal for post-op total hip patients is to avoid having them fall. I just tell them... Your goal is not to fall. I, I don't care what you have to do. You have to move some dog leashes, throw rugs, put grab bars in your showers, get somebody to help use you. Use a, a walker, waste belt. right? We want you, you to use the walker. I, people I don't, are resistant I make to that. people use yeah. a walker for two to four weeks after their hip surgery because I don't want them to fall. I'd rather they carry the walker around going, I don't need this anymore, and then get a walking stick. But, you know, when you fall, then you risk fracturing around a total joint. You ball and hit your head, you break your wrist, you, you know, get a bleed in your head because now you're on blood thinners to prevent a blood clot. You've just fallen and hit your head and bled into your head. Falling I've is done that. not good. Yeah. So we know fall prevention is important. So we did a podcast on, you know, having surgery and right. thinking about where you're going to sleep, how many steps will I have, you know, I have a, a coach or a family member that's going to help me with my medicines and get me around when I need to. Uh, you might even, those, it sounds silly, but those little, they call them waist belts that go around grandpa, you can hold on to him when he thinks he's going to make it to the bathroom and his knees buckle. Well, at least you can hold him and keep him from falling. You might need another person. So, uh, Dr. Paul, coming back to you real quick, I know, I know that we've talked many times about the weight loss program, the comprehensive weight loss program, where you have multiple venues or avenues that you can go down to help folks. If somebody came to you and said, I need to lose 20 pounds before Dr. Earth will operate on me, what would you suggest? I mean, what, what, what would be the approach for you? 
Yeah, so I'm a big believer, as you know, in a low-carb approach. You know, I think our obesity and diabetic problems largely relate to our higher-carb diet. I don't think cholesterol and high-fat diets are the villain that they've been made out to be over the course of the last 50 years. And so that multimodal approach is a lower-carb diet. And I'm not saying you got to be keto, you know, just <laughs> a, a mild uh, you know, mountain way, reduction I have carbs. Switched, just a, a, my own little note here. I switched from regular bread to the low carb bread after we did that taste testing at Christmas. Right? Yeah. I love low carb bread. Yeah. It's thicker. It's just better. It's There's just a lot of better. options. There's but, a lot yeah, of options. Yeah, I agree now. with you. Keep but going. I'm not saying you have to be keto. Just you know, let's get your <clears throat> carbs down from 300 a day to maybe under 75 or 50. Um, and then intermittent fasting has been shown to have great effect related to lowering your blood sugar and reversing something called insulin resist cause called insulin resistance, which is what results in prediabetes and eventual diabetes. And then we talked about uh, increasing muscle mass to decrease insulin resistance as well. So if you've got a problem like a knee problem, then go see the orthopedists and see what they have to offer and utilize those opportunities. But also do the other things that you can do largely on your own with some coaching or with a good medical provider. Which is lose weight, basically. Yeah, which, which is lose weight, but there's got to be a plan. I mean, the, the problem today in American medicine is we're set up for disease management, which is you go in to see your primary care doctor and it's like, oh, we're going to take your treat excuse me, tweak your blood pressure medicine. We're going to maybe look at your blood sugar again in six months. But you really have to take control yourself. And you need to manage your lifestyle in order to achieve the results that you want. And, and you have that power. You have that control. So the, the GLP-1s, we're going to end kind of, we're, we're going to be landing this podcast here in a second, but the GLP-1s, the new medicines out there. Right. Do you see those as a big help for patients that might need to see Dr. Erse? So so these are the Wigovis, the Ozembics, the Zepbounds. Yep. The answer is that they can be part of the plan. The issue with those medications is, is that you got to be doing other things as we just discussed. Low carb, intermittent fasting, strength training. Because you can become dependent on those lifelong. You will gain the weight back unless you implement other changes while you're on it. The other thing they do, is, as we've talked about, is they decrease muscle mass. So you need to be addressing that while you're on these medications. But I think they're good medicines, but they need to be used for finite periods of time. In other words, let's not create lifelong dependency on these medications. And then my preference is to use lower doses so you can eventually get off the medication. All right. Well, yeah, I think you better start saving your nickels now because those are pretty <laughs> expensive also. Well, don't you think they'll come down in price? I mean, you deal with medicines all the time. But I, we don't control what the pricing is, that's for sure. I would say one thing that, that Paul touched on, which was your, and I, and we all, you know, get our cases from family doctors. And you got to understand your family doctor sees you once or twice a year. Right. Says, let's try this, let's do that. A coach who's your metabolic coach or your, you know, weekly, you know, dietary exercise, um, you know, I'm watching what you eat and what you do, coach. Right. Is someone who can see you more regularly, just like the Michael Jordan. I have a coach who I help get me through every game instead of seeing Phil Jackson twice a year and hope the Bulls are going to win. The coach is there all the time. <laughs> Your family doctor's not there all the time. They're right. around, but they're not really going to see you very often unless 
something catastrophic yeah, occurs. So we've talked about this before. You know, primary care docs are the backbone of American medicine. Right. They're they're integral to people's health. But it's different than when John and I got out of our residencies 30 years ago, because a lot of times docs were in their own private practice back then. You, you know, and, and the relationship was a little bit different. Now, most of them, unfortunately, I think, work for large organizations, health systems. I'm not bad mouthing health systems. I understand the business model. And I'm not bad mouthing those primary care doctors, but they get 20 minutes once or twice a year. And so it takes more than that. And that's why now I'm having a lot of primary care docs refer patients to me because they need that ongoing support that John mentioned. Yeah. And your your best family docs are your best traffic cops. They see a problem. They send you for an orthopedic consult. They send you for a metabolic sugar consult. Uh, and, and there are clinics in Boston, Jocelyn Clinic, where they go over, it's like going into rehab, except it's for di- for sugar. So you get a multimodal approach to exercise, diet, you know, uh, Zen meditating, whatever you have to do. Um, I just think we um, we need to take control ourselves, as as Paul said, and then we have that ability every day. You know the you know that, that's the one thing. Our attitude is what we control every morning. It's going to be a great day, or it's going to be a crappy day. I always say if if they're bombing London and you're worried that you're going to be bombed, you could say, hey, we're going to shoot some plane sound today. It's going to be a great day. So it depends how you look at the day every day. You have the choice <laughs> of making it a good day or not. And and people have that choice. Free will is what sets us apart from trees. There aren't any trees that grow 50 feet tall and say, I'm only going to be 20 feet tall. No, they all grow I don't know where to go feet. with this one. <laughs> you don't have to go anywhere. I will tell you that the uh, the, the medicines are lifelong. Yep. Those GLP-1 things, they, they think they're going to be very useful for a lot of things. Right. They're going to make a lot of people a lot of money. Uh, they may have some certain benefits, but they also have some significant costs, like four figures a week cost. And sometimes those are you know, going to force people into generic or overseas or other options that, you know, right. I'll leave yeah, that I mean, he's right. Is. You do the math, you know, 60%, 70% of Americans are overweight. Those medicines are, you know, $1,000 or more a month. Um, you, you know, we can't afford that really as a society. So you people have to do their part. Again, I use lower doses. I use some of the compounded semaglutide, which is a lower cost. But you got to be doing your part in terms of the other things we talked about as well. All right. Well, we're going to land this podcast. I, I think, again, we could keep going with different topics on with you two guys all day long uh, but to land, I think to, to end this podcast I'm hoping because you're both on the wrestling team in 1974-1976 what school was that by the way? Bishop Watterson in Columbus and it's bigger than you think okay well we're going to we're gonna have a rematch right now right here in the studio we're going to line these guys up and they're going to go at it and I'll let you know in a future podcast how I, they I do. can't I got a bad knee I can't do that <laughs> <laughs> alright well I want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Metabolic MD with Dr. Paul Kolasik. Special thanks to Dr. John Hurst for being here with us. If we, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, how do they do that? Uh, just drjohnhurst.com. You can get phone numbers there. Uh, my group is oadoctors.com. And you're just one of the got, biggest OA or orthopedic groups in Dayton, right? That's correct. Yeah. So, okay. And we have offices all around, like 60 miles in every direction. Well, again, uh, I'll let you know how the wrestling match turns out, folks. But thanks for joining us today. We'll see you soon. Thank you for joining us on this episode of The Metabolic MD with Dr. Paul Kolodzik. 
Please join us again for the next episode to hear how your metabolic health means everything and to learn tips on how to lose weight and possibly reverse some serious health conditions. This information is not meant to be medical advice. Please seek consultation from your own medical professional.